Well, once again, I am reminded of how blessed we are here at Taylor's in our worship ministry. And I just uh, I thank Jeff and Kevin, the choir, orchestra. Aren't you grateful to be able to have this kind of worship experience every single Sunday morning? I'm so glad to be with you this morning as we continue to work our way and walk our way through this series in the book of Philippians that we have entitled, Life Doesn't Have to Be Perfect to Be Wonderful. You know, I'm so glad. (laughs) I was thinking this week, there are very few areas in my life that are perfect. In fact, there's really nothing in my life that is absolutely perfect. There are no perfect people. We've talked about that, spent a Sunday looking at that. There are no perfect circumstances in life. We've looked at this for the past couple of weeks. But even when my circumstances are imperfect, even when my life is hard, even when life throws its hardest stuff at me, life can still be wonderful if I know the secret to living a life of real joy and rejoicing. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Philippians, certainly knew what it was like to deal with incredibly difficult circumstances. A teacher should never do this, but I'm going to. (laughs) When Paul wrote this letter, where was he? Yes. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I knew you knew that. But sometimes I just have to ask. He was in prison falsely accused of a crime he did not commit, cut off from his freedom, cut off from his friends, cut off from his ministry, awaiting trial before Caesar, knowing well that he could face the death penalty. I honestly cannot imagine more difficult circumstances to be in, can you? And yet, if you look at verse 18 of Philippians chapter 1, again, Paul says, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is incredible. How could Paul remain so positive in prison? How could he delight over his difficulties, triumph over his troubles? How could he sing praises over his problems? Well, Paul had learned some things that you and I must also learn if we're going to be able to get to the place where our lives can be truly wonderful even if our circumstances aren't. Now, we've looked at some of these biblical guidelines, these principles already. Let me just review the first two. I don't have time to go into any detail. I'll just tell you what they were. They're there in your message guide. The first guideline, the first principle for having a wonderful life, even when my circumstances aren't, 
said that I need a purpose, excuse me, I need a perspective to live from. I need a perspective to live from. That was the first principle. The second one was, if my life is going to be perfect even or wonderful even when my circumstances aren't, then I need a priority to live by. I need a perspective to live from. I need a priority to live by. Number three, what we're going to look at today says this. If my life is going to be wonderful, even when my circumstances aren't, I need a purpose to live for. I need a purpose to live for. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your purpose in life? What are you living for, really? What are you living for, really? Do you know what your life purpose is? Do you know what you were created and put on this earth to do? That's a really important question because your answer to that question will determine the direction of your life. If my purpose in life is wrong, then my direction in life will be wrong. If my purpose in life is vague and fuzzy, then my direction in life will also be vague and fuzzy. If I don't know my purpose, church, I'll just be swept along by the currents of the culture, doing whatever seems to bring me happiness from moment to moment, situation to situation, circumstance to circumstance. That is a horribly deficient, defeating, and ultimately destructive way to live life. So it is crucial that I be clear and I be correct in answering the question, what am I living for? What is my life purpose? Now, what many of us do in attempting to answer that question is to respond by giving a series of life goals. In other words, preacher, my purpose in life is, is to graduate from this college, get that job, marry that person, raise a family, be successful in my career, enjoy retirement, travel, spend more time with the grandkids, and go out with no regrets. Well, those are great life goals, they are not a life purpose. And by the way, do you recognize that any or all of those goals can be short-circuited at any time by just about anything? You may not get into that particular college. You may not get that particular job. You may not marry that particular person. But you know, even if you do get those things, you can be in an accident that leaves you unable to work. You may not be able to have kids. Your health can fail. The business can fail. 
the marriage can fail. You can die before retirement. Circumstances you cannot even imagine can absolutely wreck your life goals, and you may never realize them. That's why you need a life purpose. You need a purpose that cannot be impacted by the difficult circumstances of life, the unexpected, the unanticipated, the often unwanted things that happen to us all. You need an unwavering life purpose. Paul had that purpose. It was clear. It guided his life. He remained focused on it. No matter what happened to him, even when he was in a prison cell, that's why he could rejoice. Paul's purpose for living could not be shaken by anything that happened to him. Loss of freedom couldn't shake it. Loss of possessions couldn't shake it. Loss of health couldn't shake it. Loss of friends couldn't shake it. Even his own impending death couldn't shake it. And that's why Paul could say, look here in, in verse 19, Paul says, it doesn't matter what happens to me, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's the key verse. Philippians 1.21, it is Paul's life purpose. It is the thesis of his life. For to me, Paul says, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This single verse, church, is not only a statement about Paul's life, but according to the great preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, it is also, and I quote, the standard of judgment that confronts every one of us with the most thorough test of our Christian faith we will ever encounter. Let me say that again. This single verse is not only a statement about Paul's life, but it is also the standard of judgment that confronts every single one of us with the most thorough test of our Christian faith that we will ever encounter. Every single one of us this morning who dares to name the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior of life must come face to face with this question. Can I honestly say with Paul, for to me to live is Christ. Can my life's purpose really be summed up in a sentence that simple? Or is there a need for further dangling clauses and subordinate phrases and qualifiers and all kinds of other additions? 
For to me, to live is Christ and my money. For to me, to live is Christ and my friends. For to me, to live is Christ and my career. For to me, to live is Christ and my ambitions, my hopes and my dreams, my personal desires and my personal preferences. For to me, to live is Christ and what else? Or could it really be that simple? Could it really be for to me to live is Christ? Could they put that on my tombstone? Could they say that at my funeral? Would my spouse say that about me? Would my kids say that about me? The people I work with, the classmates I go to school with, the retirees I hang out with at Hardee's, the soccer moms I rub shoulders with at the games, would my girlfriend say that about me, my boyfriend, my best friend? Can my life be described and defined, summarized and characterized, qualified and quantified by these words? For to me, to live is Christ. Is that my real purpose in life? Is that what I am really living for? I want us to do something this morning. I want us to look at Philippians 1.21 in depth. I want to break it down for us this morning. And then I want us to come back and look deeply at its implications for our lives. I'm going to take these words for to me to live as Christ, and I'm going to take them in sections. Section number one, the first three words, for to me, Paul says, to live as Christ. Notice how he begins here. It's significant. He did not say to live for me as Christ. That's a much smoother way to say this, but no, instead he says, for to me to live is Christ. Those words, for to me, are put in what we call the emphatic position. In other words, Paul is calling specific and very special attention to this fact that this is very, very personal to him. For to me, to live is Christ. Paul does not have a second-hand experience of Christ. He doesn't have a second-hand religion. He doesn't relate to Christ through his parents or through a spouse or through a church. Paul is saying, this is personal. This is the real thing to me in the depths of my soul, in the very core and fiber of my being. Regardless of how anybody else is living, for to me to live is Christ. Regardless of what my friends are doing, for to me to live is Christ. Regardless of those around me and the choices they make, for to me to live is Christ. 
regardless of what the world says. For to me, to live is Christ. Paul says, for me, this is what is real. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's all-encompassing in my life. For to me, to live is Christ. Let's look at the next two words. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. Paul is making a distinction here between merely being alive physiologically and truly experiencing life. He's talking about the very essence of life, what brings real meaning and purpose to life. Anybody's heart can beat and lungs breathe and they can be pronounced physically alive, but they can still miss out on life. Do you know in the New Testament there are three different words that are translated life? One is the Greek word bios. It's the word from which we get the word biology. It speaks of physical life, organic life. Then there is the word psuche. It's the root of our English word psychology. It speaks to the reality of our personality, our minds, our emotions, our wills, the things that make us unique as persons. Paul uses neither of those words here. He uses another word altogether. It is the word zoe. It's the word used in John 1.14 to refer to Jesus Christ himself when it says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. This life is the eternal, uncreated life of God. It refers to the absolute fullness of life. It is the same word Jesus used in John 10.10 when he said, I have come that you might have life and that you might live it to the full, that you might have it abundantly. So when Paul prays and says, for to me to live is Christ, he's talking about the thing that brings real meaning and significance to life, what makes life count. He's talking about what makes a person fully alive and no joy and come to the point of really discovering and fulfilling your ultimate purpose in life. Finally, notice the last two words. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ. Is Christ. Literally, in the original Greek in which this was written, the verb is, is not found. It was inserted by the translators to sort of smooth out the sentence, but literally, as Paul penned this, the verse reads this way, for to me, to live, Christ. For to me, to live, Christ. And he leaves the verb out. He leaves it out purposefully. He omits it for dramatic emphasis. In other words, Paul says, my whole life 
is Christ. The sum and the substance of my life is Christ. There's nothing in my life that is outside of Christ. You see, if you could somehow open Paul's heart and look down into the very center of it, there you would find Christ, dominant, living within Paul. Paul does not live for anything else or anyone else. Life is about Christ and Christ alone. Christ was the goal of his life, the motive of his actions, the driving force behind his activities, the heartbeat that shaped his passion and his priorities, the source of his strength. Paul is saying, everything I do is for Christ. Everything I am is for Christ. And by the way, the word Christ itself is significance. I hope you, I hope you know that Christ isn't Jesus' last name. It is his title. It means anointed one, Messiah, Son of God, co-equal and co-eternal with God, creator and sustainer of the universe, resurrected from the dead, Lord, enthroned at the right hand of the Father, the one to whom the Father has entrusted all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who is coming again in glory and majesty and power. Paul says, this is the one for whom I am living. In Colossians 3.14, Paul will say, Christ is our life. In Galatians 2.20, he writes and he says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Is that true of you? That's the question. Is this true of you? Is it true of me? I think it's very important, church, that we don't forget that this was not always true of Paul. There was a time in Paul's life when he did not live for Christ. Paul lived for himself. He lived for a dead religion. And Paul was religious. My goodness, he was religious up to his eyeballs. He was more religious than anyone else. And yet he lived for his own reputation. He lived for his own cause. Paul lived for Paul. Until that moment that we read about in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, when Christ intervened in his life, when that bright light from heaven appeared and literally knocked Paul off of his feet and blinded him. But in that moment of blindness, for the very first time, Paul began to see. Sovereign grace took hold of Paul, and Paul looked up and he said, Lord, what would you have me do? And in that moment, Paul came underneath the authority and the sovereign grace and lordship and deity of Jesus Christ. In that moment, Paul said, I determined 
that I would take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And by a work of the Spirit of God, Paul's life underwent a 180-degree change of direction. His entire life was dramatically altered, changed forever. And that is what should have happened to you and to me when Christ took hold of us. Did it? That's the question. Did it? Really? I want to give you this morning six measurements that I pray will help you as they are helping me to answer the question, can I truly say, for to me, to live is Christ. Let's look at these quickly this morning, these six measurements that will help me determine if I'm really totally, completely, unreservedly, unashamedly living for Christ. Here's the first. To live for Christ means that Christ must be the priority in my life. That means nothing supersedes Christ because He is unchallenged. He is unrivaled in my life. There are no competing loyalties. He exerts absolute control over my life. Everything in my life must come into alignment with Christ. It means I live where He tells me to live. I do what He tells me to do. I go where He tells me to go. Everything in my life must yield to Christ. He must have first place in my family. He must have first place in my marriage. He must have first place in my profession and my career. He must have first place in my finances, first place in my intellect, first place in my time, first place in my love, first place in my conversations, first place in my relationships, first place in my pleasures, first place in my eating, first place in my play, first place in my athletics. He must have first place in what I watch. He must have first place in what I read. He must have first place in what I listen to. He must have first place in everything in my life. Paul said in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, I have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future. Instead, I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Christ Jesus. To live for Christ means he must have priority in my life. Secondly, To live for Christ means that Christ must be the passion of my life. 
He must be the passion of my life. That simply means nothing comes before Christ in my heart. My spouse doesn't come before Christ. My kids don't come before Christ. My hobbies and my pastimes don't come before Christ. It means the deepest longing of my heart is to be united with Christ. Behold the glory of Christ. See the beauty of Christ. It means my life is wholeheartedly and enthusiastically about Christ. It means I'm fired up for Christ. I'm excited to know Christ. Everything I do, I do for the glory of Christ. It means I'm willing to give up anything that keeps me from having Christ. Philippians 3.8, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I have put aside all else, counting it worth less than nothing in order that I can have Christ. For to me to live means that Christ must be the passion of my life. Number three, to live for Christ means that Christ must be the pattern for my life. Everything in my life must be an imitation of Christ, an emulation of Christ. The goal of my life must be to be conformed to the image of Christ. I must think like Christ, talk like Christ, act and react like Christ. I must be in submission to my heavenly Father like Christ. Christ. Everything in my life must be modeled after Christ, squared with Christ, put in sync with Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 1 Peter 2.21, Christ has left you an example for you to follow. That means if I'm following anyone else or anything else. I'm following the wrong thing. You know, the most repeated statement in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the most repeated statement of Jesus is simply, follow me. 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in Christ ought himself to walk in the same manner as Christ walked. Philippians 2.5, the attitude you should have is the attitude that Jesus had. To live for Christ means Christ must be the pattern, the example for my life. In everything, he must be the priority in my life. He must be the passion of my life. He must be the pattern for my life. Number four, to live for Christ means that I must be in partnership with Christ. I must be in partnership with Christ. That simply means I am inseparably linked to the mission of Christ. I'm commanded to carry out the purposes of Christ. My ultimate vocation is to be a co-laborer together with Christ. I'm obligated to carry out the commands of Christ, to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Acts 20, 24, Paul says, life is worth 
nothing unless I partner with Christ, unless I use my life for doing the work assigned to me by Christ, the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. I have been commissioned to be the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ, the eyes of Christ, the heart of Christ, the voice of Christ in a world that desperately needs to experience the reality of Christ. And I cannot say that I'm living for Christ if I am not in partnership with him to carry out his purposes in life. Number five, and this is important, to live for Christ means that the power for my life comes from Christ. The power for my life comes from Christ. As I seek to make Christ the priority in my life, the passion of my life, the pattern for my life, as I enter into partnership with Christ, I know I can only do those things in the strength and the power He provides. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works in me. You know Philippians 4.13 Paul says, my power for doing all things comes from Christ who strengthens me. I cannot live for Christ in my own strength. It is not a natural life. It is a supernatural life. And I am totally and completely dependent upon his strength through his spirit in order to live for him. To live for Christ means that the power for my life comes from Christ. Finally, number six, to live for Christ means that I'm willing to embrace persecution for the sake of Christ. I'm willing to embrace persecution for the sake of Christ. That means I'm willing to stand up for Christ, speak out for Christ, share in the sufferings of Christ. It means I'm willing to go any place, count any cost, pay any price to follow him. It means I hang on to stuff very loosely. I hang on to safety and security very loosely. I hang on to comfort very loosely. Even my own life I hang on to very loosely. Weymouth's translation of Acts 20, 24 says this, even the sacrifice of my own life I count as Nothing. Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for him. To live for Christ means I'm willing to embrace persecution for the sake of Christ. It means the power of my life comes from Christ. It means I am in partnership with Christ. Christ is the pattern for my life. He is the passion of my life. He is the priority in my life. Now, how do you measure up? How do you measure up? This is not just a description of Paul's life 
This is the standard of judgment that confronts every one of us with the most thorough test of our Christian faith we will ever encounter. This is serious stuff. For to me, to live is Christ. Not Christ plus this. Not Christ and that. But it is this simple. For to me, to live is Christ. My friend, you will never experience the reality that life can be wonderful even when your circumstances aren't if you do not have this purpose to live for. It is the only purpose that takes into account eternity and it is the only purpose that cannot be thwarted by anyone or anything. How do you measure up? Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, this morning, we stand underneath the authority of your word and what it has to say to us and how it challenges us and convicts us and shows us many times the shallowness of our faith. We have said it before. We will say it over and over again. Lord, this is not a higher life. This is not a deeper life. This is normal, New Testament, biblical Christianity. Father, forgive us when we have made it any less than this. May we say this morning from the depths of our hearts, for to me, this is personal, this is real. I'm not borrowing somebody else's experience. For me, this is authentic. This is the foundation level of, of my life. For to me, oh God, may we say for to me, to live. We're not just talking about cranking out a earthly existence. We're not talking about just walking through life, living and breathing and experiencing different things and getting through and coming to the end of a day and being exhausted by it. We're talking about experiencing life abundant life, eternal, genuine, real, authentic, that which gives meaning and purpose to life. And oh God, may we say for to me, to live is Christ. It is Christ. He is the sum total of my life. I need nothing else. I seek nothing else. The anointed one, eternal God, 
Messiah, creator, sustainer, the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, the one who is coming again in glory and in majesty and in power. It is that one that I live for. No one else and no thing else. Father, I pray this morning that we will not let anything keep us from embracing this truth as the great purpose of our lives, that which we are living for above all else. Lord, for those of us who need to just recommit ourselves to that this morning, Father, I pray you'll you'll give us the courage to do it. We'd be honest enough to say, I don't measure up. None of us measures up. None of us will ever measure up fully, finally, completely, this side of eternity. But oh God, forgive us when that's not the passion of our heart, the priority of our life, when we're not pursuing that every day, when we're not running hard after that every moment. Oh God, forgive us for a half-hearted expression of what it means to follow Christ. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never for the first time experienced the reality of this Christ flooding their heart, forgiving their sin, granting them the gift of eternal life, drawing them into relationship with you, oh God, I pray today would be the day, this moment would be the moment that they do that. They would step out from that pew in just a moment, come down, take my hand and just say, I need this Christ. I want to live my life for this one who loved me gave himself for me. Father, we give you these moments. May you have the freedom to do everything you want to do with them is our prayer in Jesus' name. Join me in standing. We're going to sing a hymn together. These altars are open if you need to come. If you need to pray. If you want to come and take my hand, if I can encourage you by praying with you, I'm here to do that. However God speaks to your heart this morning, this is your time, your moment, as we sing, as Kevin leads us, tis so sweet.